Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan Foster Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today, my friend. How are you? How dare you? <laughs> you don't go with Irene Lou? Irene, Dagan, Irene Lou Moriarty. Come on, Irene. <laughs> well, that, you know, her, her name is Eileen, but if a Japanese person said it in English, it would in fact be Irene. English so mentioned in the first 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it, my friend. My friend, how are you today? How's it Good. I, I'll tell you what. <laughs> this is so random, but I love it. I'll give you a quick thought. And you know what? This is something I don't know if you and I have ever discussed, because when I heard this story, you weren't even born yet. So let me tell you the how this came about. So. I haven't seen dad in a while. He actually came out for Lilia's uh, dance recital like a month ago, but it was a quick trip, you know, and most of the time I spent with him was sitting in the auditorium watching the show. And then he came back to the house, had a nice lunch, but then we were leaving for the shore and he was heading back to the island. So I didn't get to see him for that long. So I've been missing him. Long story short. Mm, So mm, I mm. was thinking of this funny story and it pops into my head from time to time. And I think I really started being cognizant of this story when I was in college, because, you know, I'm in art school, I'm an animation student, I'm staying up all night to try to get my assignments done. You're kind of sleepless, sleep deprived at that age. But I remember this story haunting me as a kid, too. And I don't know if it was dad or mom who initially told me this, but and maybe it was dad who told her. So our dad, New York City firefighter, his whole career in Brooklyn, worked really hard a lot of moonlighting gigs on the side, drove a truck, did carpentry, worked all these side jobs. Besides the rigorous commute from Long Island to Brooklyn, the crazy job of being a New York City firefighter in a crazy neighborhood in Brownsville in East New York. So he would tell me, or I would hear tales of guys sleeping, you know, in the barracks, in the firehouse, 
so exhausted that there were guys that slept with their eyes open. Okay. And this image always haunted me of guys laying. I remember what that what that area in the firehouse looked like. It was a floor upstairs with a bunch of beds. It looked like, to me, it looked like a slightly nicer version of what you would see like in a Vietnam movie, like a Vietnam like battlefield hospital. Right. Like all like the beds barrack. were the same, iron yeah. frame, white mattress, white sheets, very lean, bare, no frills, right? And I just remember a bunch of, I remember thinking of a bunch of guys laying up there all with their eyes open, but fast asleep. <laughs> so it was like this haunting horror-like image, like a horror movie. And I remember that not being, like, being in disbelief. Like, how can you be so exhausted that you could fall asleep with your eyes open? And how does anybody even tell that you're sleeping? <laughs> right? Because usually telltale sign of sleeping is your eyes closed. Lids, eyelids. So, and I don't know if I, it's one of those things, too, where I don't know if I ever tried to flesh out the conversation and gain a better understanding by talking to dad about it. I was a weird kid. Like I would hear something and then like, I would never <laughs> ruminate on it. <laughs> I would never try to like get closure. I, it would just haunt me. And the questions would just, you know, stay with me from year, from year after year. But I could understand as an adult, and I'm sure you could speak to this. I could understand being that exhausted, but have you ever heard of this? Let alone, have you ever fallen asleep with your eyes open or known somebody who have who was able to do this or have witnessed this? Well, I mean, this is the only person I can think of that reminds me a little bit of this is Dana. Just because I remember when she was when I was a kid, she her eyes would be kind of open when she would sleep sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if that's still a thing anymore that she does. I mean, they're not wide open. But I remember making fun of her for that. And, Part uh, of the legend of Dana. I know, She's watching of Dana. even when she's sleeping. And I was always so confused by that because I was like, how do you not see the action going on here? Right. I, I, I often sleep when the light starts coming up, even though I have like blackout shades and my they're not they're not really sufficient. My master bathroom has a fucking window in it. And it's just. Oh, OK. So, yeah, yeah. so I usually pull the covers over my head like I need that or, or I have like the the Golden Girls mask. Oh, nice. Well, Blanche also, Devereaux. Yeah, action. I have a Blanche Devereaux mask that I wear sometimes <laughs> as well because I'm so sensitive to that. I need. I need to not have any of the light. So I, I'm, I've always been so confused about the sufficiency of even having your eye a little open. Isn't the light getting in? That's like Colleen. See, thing. I don't sleep very deeply. So okay. I'm always ready to go. Micah says that about me a lot. She's like, it's hysterical when I wake you up. Sometimes you're like fucking ready to go. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm so anxious. I think it's about every, everything's about to go bad now. You know, <laughs> drop I'm ready. of the hat. Yeah, I'm ready. This is the drop of the hat. The other shoes fall. Let's go. That's like what I think well, every time I wake up. Yeah. You know, I wonder if that speaks to the firefighter thing too, like just being at the ready. Like I'm sleeping, but I'm not. Like I'm ready mm -hmm. to jump. You know, if we get a job, I'm ready to slide down the pole. <laughs> Economic recession, let's go. I'm ready. You know? <laughs> let's get it done. That's your version of the fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nuclear war. Wake up to the fucking concussion of a bomb. Boom, boom in the distance. You never you know really know. You never really know what you're that, gonna do. Yeah. Lilia was just telling me the other day that she's scared of nuclear war. And really? it's so funny if you think about it, because I She's said I grew up having kid. a deep fear of that. You know, yeah. we grew up in the in the 80s. The Cold War was still, you know, things were starting to thaw. But, you know, you as a kid, you're looking at all these movies that we grew up with. Red Dawn, The Day After, all the and it instills that fear. And I would think her generation's 2022 now. That would be, you know, not even a non-issue. 
But now, I guess, with the Russia Ukraine thing, you know, it's kind of rekindled those fears in kids. And, you know, they have to, they've been going, this generation missed 9 11, but then they go, go through the COVID thing. So I thought that was interesting that it kind of comes full circle again with, you know, and I try to assuage her fears by saying that no one's that yeah. crazy. It's not going to get to that point. No, I don't but isn't it interesting but... that they have to think about that now? Like I did at her age. Yeah. Yeah. She's not a Cold War kid. So it is it is interesting. It's funny when you're like, oh, you missed that 9-11. Oh, you missed that whole thing. You missed that whole arc. <laughs> but uh, so you're coming in late. It's like watching a soap opera and you're on episode 15,000. Like we always talk about how there are 27,000 episodes of Days of Our Lives. It's like, what? Still that's on, so right? Insane. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm like, that's so fucking insane. I don't know why that, that has to come up every few months because it's still it, it plagues my mind. But no, I'm not so worried about it. But I think the best way we can handle this whole threat of nuclear war is just sending billions and billions of dollars more weapons to the area of the world to uh, make sure to exacerbate as much violence as possible. So we'll tell Lilia we have a, we have a complete grip on it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we got this. We're sending tens of billions of dollars into a black void. No doubt these weapons are going to emerge in the Middle East and Southeast Asia in like five years. So you never know. I do think, though, that a nuclear bomb, I do think a nuke, like a nuclear attack would be a black swan event, like totally unexpected. Like, I don't think anyone could possibly even anticipate how, where or why that would happen at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Because of what what mutually assured destruction means. I think this might have come up on the show in the past, but mutually assured destruction requires the other party to launch their nukes. Otherwise, it is not a doctrine. So right. we have no choice in, in, if we're going to stick to the doctrine. It's like, well, that's got that's got to be the way it is. The, the only deterrent is to ensure for future generations, if there are any, that when it happened, it actually did happen. That way. That's so scary. And that's it is. But she has I don't think she has anything to worry about. Small arms, you know, <laughs> anti-missile systems. Yeah. Missile batteries. That's a little different. If she was in Ukraine, I think she would be a little more scared. Absolutely, um, my friend. Than she is now. But yeah, tell her the American government's all over. We're making, you know, Halliburton. They're there. <laughs> Boeing. They're there. You know, Lockheed Martin. You know, they're there. Lockheed. They're right all down set. The street. Everyone's. So we're taking care of it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I saw this video, you know, the the Boston Dynamics style videos. But I saw. Did you see the video recently of the dog with them? It was like in Russia. They had like a machine gun on it. No. And it was like a it was I was like, this is so insane. It's how it's happening. It's happening. And it had like amazing aim. Are you serious? Yeah. Like because it was like strafing and it was like hitting targets. No, come yeah. on. Yeah. That it was wasn't like, in the field that they were testing it. Yeah, they're testing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I think these weapons of war are technically illegal, but what kind know. of we'll dog was it? Well, it's, you know, like the, the Boston Dynamics dogs, like the, oh, the robotic they, dogs. I see what you mean. I see. Yeah. what you mean. <laughs> that would be fucking cool if it was like timber. But that's not what I'm talking about. Or no, not anything like that. Put it on like a, a dachshund. So like they read, oh, this is a cute little dachshund. I always used to joke around with Greg that uh, we should, you know, if worse came to worse, we could put a suicide vest on Portillo because then because he loves people. So if like there were zombies or something, we just put a, put a vest on him, just send him. He'll run right to them because they're on. And then he'll just blow them up. Yeah. You know, and the zombies end. would never su- suspect a thing. They might be a little annoyed like you used to be by Portillo. Panda! <laughs> Where is can this I conversation that? Can going? Can I say that? I don't know. I don't know if I can say that. I have no idea, my friend. I have no idea. <laughs> Dude. Oh, good stuff. Let's be real. 
they were they were a fierce foe. We definitely had to mow them down. But were the Japanese pretty cool in World War Two? They were pretty. They were. They had the swords. They had the whole honor thing. Oh, death to the last man. They had a little something going on over there that I that I was like <laughs> fighting in the Philippines until like the seventies, which is the best. Like the <laughs> random dudes that never got picked up and like thought the war. Like if you read about some of these dudes, they were like stalking villages for like decades. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. Like living in the living in like the mountains and like coming and like killing people and stealing shit and getting back into the mountains and like have and they had to go and convince some of the. You don't know anything about this. This is awesome. I don't. There were people that I think into the seventies, people like had to go and be convinced the war was over. Holy shit. They didn't yeah, have radios. Like, they didn't believe anything like because oh, they okay. were they were trained that like if anyone we would never surrender. So they're obviously lying to us like we wow. wouldn't we, we don't surrender. Holy and oh, yeah, shit. there's there, I think one or two of them wrote a book each about their experiences. I, it was in like various islands. Oh my in, God, I have Pacific. to look at this. Oh, you're gonna love it. You're gonna that love is it. and that is absolutely intriguing. And speaking of which, Ninja Gaiden. Here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I put this on our list, Dig, because it's a classic. 1989 so NES release. Now, it's important to note this because I don't know if a lot of people know this. I know you know this. You know your games better than I do, even with the retro scene. This is not Ninja Gaiden in the arcade. The Ninja Gaiden arcade game, which some of you might have encountered, it was kind of rare. I, I don't remember ever seeing it in the, in the wild as a kid. And as an adult, I've seen it and played it. Yeah. But as a kid, I don't remember ever encountering Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden was a, I think, 87 or 1988 release. And it was a beat em up with. So like Double Dragon or yep. Final Fight. Absolutely. And I don't I was I watched video of it in the past. And I actually just watched video of it when I was researching for this show and getting ready with my notes. And I'm like, this game doesn't even look very good. It's so interesting that 
it just looks like every other game from that era. It has nothing about it. It's not like Double Dragon or TMNT or some of these others X-Men where there's something about it that stands out. So this Ninja Gaiden NES release is really not a port of it, even though they kind of pretended it was. Because even on the box that I'm looking at, it says biggest arcade hit in big green letters oh. on the box art. But the box art itself is legendary box art. Some of the greatest. And this 1989 release is really just inspired by it. It's actually an action game. I would say it's most inspired by Castlevania. I don't know if um, I don't know if you would agree. I just I think it, it kind of ha- really significant knockbacks, sub weapons, you know, linear. Even the even the, the energy bars are Castlevania energy bars. So I think there's a little bit to that. You know, you, you don't collect hearts. You collect the nin, what is it called? Ninpo Ninpo ninja power. So I think Castlevania is more the 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 place where this game begins. But this game reminds me of you. All three of them on the NES really remind me of you. And I think we've told the story in the past. But just to tell people we had this game. I don't remember where we got it. You must have bought it at some point. And then Ninja Gaiden two and three you gave me for my birthday. I want to say in 1992, maybe. Yeah, that sounds used. And the story goes for people that haven't heard it, that Dagan gave me these two cartridges loose in a bass shoebox. (laughs) So, you know, like the bass, like nice shoes. And I remember being like, are you fucking kidding? And I obviously didn't say that, but I was like seven or eight years old. Like, are you? I remember being like disappointed. Like, what? Shoes for you church. Know, like, it's your brother, Dagan, right? The guy that buys you the G.I. Joe's, the guy that buys you the the, the katana and like the when we go throw ninja stars in the backyard, real ones. And he, he bought me the big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles plush doll and all of the. And then he's coming with a bass shoe, coming in hot with a bass shoe box. <laughs> But no, this was a this was a classic Dagan trick. Lo and behold, two loose cartridges in it. I remember it clear as day. I don't know why it's one of those memories that I, I just too. remember. So, and I remember so it was clear. Ninja Gaiden 2 and Ninja Gaiden 3, which we're not going to talk about today. But we have a we have a very deep connection, I think, to these games. And oh specifically God. this first one, while I don't think it's the best one, it might actually be the hardest one in some ways because of that that kickback from 6-4 to 6-1 if you die. Oh, man. But but uh. It's a really, really good game. And I'm curious what your memories are of this, both in the arcade with that beat em up version, if you ever encountered it. Because, again, I was young, but I don't remember seeing it. Yeah. And then uh, and then as it came to NES, what was attractive to you about it? And do you remember the Nintendo Power, which is obviously a legendary Nintendo Power, all of the rest that was leading into this game? And of course, its inclusion in the wizard, which I think is another really important part of its of its legacy. Definitely. Since it was it was one of the games that like that bad Lucas was like really good in Ninja, Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden. And, and, and it's also worth noting, I was going to say, we knew this as Ninja Gaiden. Yes. We, I didn't start calling it Ninja Gaiden until 15 years ago, if that. So so talk to me, Dig. I've said a lot here. We were so ignorant. Ninja Gaiden. We called him uh, Ryu, not Ryu, Ryu right. right? So we're, we're still ignorant, just less ignorant now as adults. The arcade version, Kyle, to start with, we had that actually in Patchogue Bowl right near PJ's house. So the, uh, around where we used to skate, used to run into the bowling alley, play Street Fighter, and the arcade version of Ninja Gaiden was in there. And I remember having fond memories of it when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. And it was one of those quarter munchers, but I remember enjoying it. And then I got nostalgic about it during the Wii era, downloaded it on the Wii Virtual Console, Dude, it's horrible. It's nowhere near Double Dragon or Final Fight or any of the classic beat 'em ups. It is so slow. Your main cat, your your Ryu 
in that game moves at a snail's pace. It's just like a ninja. Oh, it's unbearable. <laughs> yeah, just like a ninja. It's unbearable. It's absolutely unbearable. Or you think of a great, a great one like the Simpsons arcade, TMNT oh, yeah. arcade, all the classics, right? Nowhere near that. But didn't come out that long before the NES version. I was so excited to do this topic. Now we get to talk about a specific NES game, our beloved gray box. And this is I would put this in my NES top 10, this game. I love it so much. Loved it as a kid. Still love it. Still one of those pop and play games for me that I'll just put in. I'll, yeah, I'll bring it up on the Switch or I'll just put it in the actual NES and play for a little while. It's so fluid. I definitely put it up there with the Mario trilogy on the NES, the Castlevania games, the Mega Man games, you know, Contra, Life Force, all the classics. Uh, Bucky O'Hare, all the great games. I definitely put it amongst those. And it's, it's cool to go back for us and talk about a specific NES game, not just the era, but a specific game. Because, you know, we have two types of gamers, we could argue, right? We have those gamers now, those modern gamers, probably younger guys and gals who really kind of cling to the modern releases maybe they came up into gaming with the ps2 or the ps3 or even the 360 so they're looking for those new experiences the latest graphic fidelity and all that kind of stuff but even and then of course we have the people that are older that grew up with the retro games that are still don't mind going back and playing the older things on the new you know on these games whether even if it's one of the mini consoles right but I would recommend this game to everybody for those who tend not to go back and to those who tend to want to go back to their roots and play something classic. It's such a great game in terms of everything. I mean, this game really has it all. It has excellent graphics, some of the best music of the oh, era. The music's fucking killer, The, the music is unbelievable in this <laughs> game. <laughs> it's so, I mean, the music might be the best part, right? The gameplay, amazing, fluid. Mm-hmm. Has its has its quirks, but we'll get to that. And of course, the cinematic quality, the cutscenes, and the entire experience. It was so ahead of its time. I mean, back then, I remember in the late 80s going into the 90s, feeling like, oh, I'm playing an anime. Like, that's how we felt back then. It's like, wow, this was the closest game that came to an anime before probably maybe even through the 16-bit era, I would argue, until we got, you know, arrived at the disc games. So definitely highly recommended if you guys have fond memories of it, go back. Or if you have never experienced it, go find a way to play it because it's that good and it's that fun. And also, of course, the challenge. Definitely one of the hardest. I would say one of the hardest NES games, even though I think people conflate it a little bit and inflate it a little more difficult than it is. But definitely the last level, you know, um, Act 6 is notorious for being like hair pulling and notorious for just feeling random and i think it's an act of sheer determination to get through this the last part of this game <laughs> yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a hard game i i played on switch this time around with save states because i'm like i'm not doing this mm. yeah i'm smart there's just no, i'm not like i'm not peppering in them in but it's like you gotta i i can't dude i, I can't die at jockey and go all the way back and do it again like it just <laughs> so it's we're not in that generation anymore i used to have a high tolerance for it but i just don't anymore and i've also said and i'll reiterate that i'm just not very good at games anymore i'm just i feel like i'm i'm getting worse at games i would i could beat ninja gaiden as a kid straight up on the nes right and i i 
don't know Start that I can finish. really. I mean, I would have to really. I could, I'm sure, do it today. But I it would. I would have to really dedicate my like a couple of days probably to really understanding the game like that again. You know, and I just don't want to spend my time like that anymore. So it actually, you were saying, find a way to play it. It's actually quite trivial if you have a Switch because it's it's built into that NES ROMs module that yep. they have, and it's one of the many games. I just I want to just say at the top again because we said it during the Ocarina of Time conversation as well. I just want to praise Switch's platform for classic Nintendo games, which is where it's at for me, right? The, it's and awesome. the way the way that they don't individualize the games, but rather just make you download the NES thing and then it's just in there and this really slick interface and it just works. Save states and all of the rest. It's very well done. Let me say this, though. And this is puzzling. This has nothing to do with Ninja Gaiden. This has to do with the switch. And I want to know if you're in on this or not. OK, why are the default buttons backwards <laughs> on all of the games? <laughs> they are. Are they backwards on NES and SNES games? And you can go in and remap them. And I did. But did anyone there say like this is not the way the game was played? It's like so this is odd. a categorically not the right button line layout for any of them. You have to reverse A and B on everything. And I don't understand. Like, are people sitting there and playing Mario with the buttons like that? Oh, how they do. They must. I just don't understand. Like, they don't know any better or something. Because no, I'm like, right. I, it's like I can't do I, You can hand me that controller for five seconds. It's like if I can't map this, I'm not. I'm not playing Mario with the fucking jump on the B button, basically. You gotta retrain yourself. What, right. It's like, this is like deep muscle memory. You can't. I'm not. It's like me playing games uninverted. Like, I have to play games with an inverted uh, Y axis or I can't play them. You right. know, like, it's just the way it is. And I, it's it's so many thousands of hours that you. So I just wanted to throw that out there that I think that's so fucking weird. And I, then the other weird thing I found out is that you couldn't even remap them until a couple of years ago. So you had to play oh, shit. the games like that. And. It's so weird because the, the best way to play the old NES games other than in their original platforms was always the Wii because the controller made sense turned on its side. There was no right. ifs, ands or buts about how, what you did. And their original SNES style classic controller was the same way on Wii, but they've gotten really far away from that. And I just don't know where someone was like, we're just going to make the buttons opposite now. <laughs> and everyone's like, OK, I guess that's it's so we're strange do that now, isn't it? I, I just think it's so it's so weird. I just wanted to throw that out there. Very weird. But. The Ninja Gaiden ROM works great. Um, oh, it's awesome. Once you, once you put the buttons the other way, it works fine. And yeah, I spent the night with it. I just kind of dicked around with it, played it. And just like you said, I, I think it's a game. I wish it was a little easier to play almost like there was a Ninja Gaiden collection or something like there are many others now yeah. on PS4 or PS5 because it is a pick up and play game. It's a very, very, very good game. Tecmo doesn't really, te Koei Tecmo now, doesn't really get into that stuff like others have. Konami shit konami's about to release their tmnt brawler collection yeah. next month yeah which is amazing it's like 17 games not only brawler but the fighting games and the action games and stuff too everything and konami has released their castlevania stuff and the contra stuff and a bunch of other things capcom has released Mega Man. they're releasing fucking Mega Man on network battle network next year which I is so heard weird about this so so people are getting into it, and I think it's only a matter of time before we see something like this migrate as well. Yeah, it's also worth noting that there was a very obscure Ninja Gaiden collection on Super Nintendo. So that's another way to, to play it as well. Um, but I must say that that first stage is especially is just burned into my brain. That outdoor terrain with the signs, the the very simple enemies kind of getting your footing, going into the bar and just beating the ever loving shit out of that, <laughs> that character. Has no, I don't, I gotta say, I'm gonna say this honestly. I don't know if that boss has ever beaten me in my entire life. I've died in every which way in a video game, right? Like you die in the first fortress in Mario World, or you die, or in Super Mario 3, or you die, and you're like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. 
I don't know if I've ever died on that first stage ever. <laughs> it's almost impossible, right? Because there's no pits. Yeah, it's impossible. So it's it's cool to kind of like get your feel for that and how the game arcs. It's very Castlevania like again, six stages just like Castlevania and the difficulty does just go crazy. I mean, everyone knows Castlevania gets nuts by stage five. It it absolutely is out of control. And then by stage six, you're getting you're getting attacked by the bosses from the first stage, like just multiples of the bats. Right? They just so, show up. Yeah, they're just like, OK, so I'm, <laughs> now this is happening. So uh, do you remember your first interactions with the NES version of the game. We owned it, but I don't remember if we bought it used or what happened, yeah. like where it came from. I feel like we might have rented it first and then bought it some other time. But what are your memories of, of like what are your memories of actually playing it at that time? Yeah, we had like four ways of getting games back then. We could buy it fresh, new Toys R Us, KB, whatever, which was rare for us. We could get it from your best friend, Tim and his family, because they had a library of nes games they had a ton of titles and we would borrow them and sometimes long term borrow them or yeah, they were so cool they didn't care at all like, they, they really, really did they were very cool very it cool was like that. renting yeah. it for free and indefinitely right <laughs> that's exactly. really what like it was they, yeah know? i don't remember ever getting beef from them being like where's the game because we were returning them and digging and were both very persnickety so like we were not we were not we're not doing anything wrong. I do remember they kept some of them in like the blue n- translucent Nintendo cases that I remember. And I don't think we were allowed to borrow those ones. OK, were, so like, that was those yeah, were off limits. Yeah. yeah but everything else. Right. Yeah. So so yeah, and no, I babysat that, that, yeah. for them. So like I would play over there and then sometimes it would get awkward. Like they would come over our house and play the games we borrowed. And I'd feel like, wow, we've had this for a while. I wonder if they're going to ask for it back. But they never like you said, they never did. They were just kind of completely laissez faire with that. Yeah, it was great, which was funny. Or we could rent them, which we did. Showtime video mm-hmm. was right up the street. Mm-hmm. And then we could occasionally I would trade and kind of barter with my neighborhood friends, some of the older kids, some of my contemporaries that I skated with or whatever. I don't. I was going to ask you the same thing. I don't even know where Ninja Gaiden came from because we had it long term. The first one, I I always suspected it came from the Kotcher's house and just kind of became, you know, Ours. we just kind of gained ownership of it somehow. Yeah, yeah. You know, was, as would sometimes happen you know, back in the day. Yeah. Things would just fall off the radar or somebody would just brush it off and not care or whatever. But it was always one of those sort of just pop in and play games for me. I think of other ones for me that are still the go-tos, right? Mario 2, Mario 3, Contra, Life Force Jackal, Mega Man 2, Mega Man 3, uh, Castlevania, Simon's Quest, Castlevania, Castlevania 3. Just the ones that are just a fun, you know you could spend a day with them, spend even a couple of hours with them, and just have fun. And this one for me, and you and I talk about this sometimes, Kyle, and I know you're very much of the mind this of this mindset with Mega Man 3 for instance where we would like just go on like what I call a finesse run with the game not a speed run not a no death run but just a very smooth fluid run of the game that you know you're very familiar with maybe you have all the bits memorized and you could go through without getting hit and just have a really fun time being as smooth and fluid as possible you know and again not really necessarily perfection and not speed but just platforming really deftly and making sure you get all the right things maybe get a quick boss kill stuff like that and it's so funny like think back to 1989 all the way through today decades later it's still one of those games that i just love to play and there's always been a way for me to play it as i said through the wii virtual console through the initial offering then the wii virtual console and then of course in having my retro game room in here now and with the switch it's accessible and i love that these games these classic games 
are accessible. And, you know, we also have to say, I was just looking at NES best of all time lists. This is on most people's top 25 NES of all time. I think it was 33 was the lowest I saw it ranked. And I think Ninja Gaiden 2 is generally considered the best of the three mm-hmm. classics. Okay. But for me, and I love that game. You know, we have two, the Dark Sword of Chaos 3, the Ancient Ship of Doom. They're both great. Both amazing. And they both Mm -hmm. introduce slightly new mechanics. Familiar, but then they introduce one new thing to the equation, which kind of evolves it for each version. But I mean, I just, I think this game is amazing. And also we should say Tecmo was one of the best developers of this era. They really made, you think of them in the same breath as a Sunsoft, a Konami, a Capcom. They were what, and you know, straight up Nintendo. They were one of those, you know, you could look as a kid in the video store, see the Tecmo name, and feel like that five dollar rental was going to be worth your worth your buck. Yeah, they had like interesting stuff. Like they they did Rygar, Mighty Bomb Jack. There was some mm. interesting stuff on NES that I I love that game, Mighty Bomb Jack. Like I, I feel like no one talks about that NES. That random no one NES talks game. about that game. You're tr- you're right. Solomon's Key. Yes was one of them which is a really interesting game so and later they they're obviously with koei now and they're very much at home with koei because koei's got the whole that's right deep japanese shit going on sure. so like they, they're very and so ninja gaiden in that family with in the same family as like uh something chinese like romance of the three kingdoms japanese made but based on a chinese story like that just seems to fit very cogently as all of the companies remember we remember i tell people all the time for younger gamers we had a Tecmo and a Koei. We had a we had a Square and an Enix. Right? Yes. We had all these different things, and then they all started merging. They merged. We had a Namco and a Bandai, right? And all these different things. So, very interesting how that all kind of happened over the last twenty years or so. But, Dave, you brought up the the storytelling in Ninja Gaiden, and this was one of the things that I think always stuck out to me too. I think that deep in my mind, maybe subconsciously, but certainly actively. There was this seed set about what games could be. And I think there are certain games that we talk about the great games, the wonderful games, the the iconic games, the games you always love. remember playing. I talk about something like Super Mario World, how much I love that game. But Super Mario World didn't teach me what games could be. It was the refinement of something amazing, which was Super Mario 3. So it wasn't something necessarily new. It was just expertly executed to the absolute you know, nth degree. Absolutely. But when you see something like Ninja Gaiden, we never, like you said, we never saw anything like this. And I was reading a little bit about it because I was like, what games did shit like this on NES? And the only one I can come up with is Golgo 13, mm. which is based on another property where it's like very deep storytelling. But what's cool about Ninja Gaiden, and I was really paying attention to this while I was playing it again, is there's not even that much art. It's really clever use of obviously very limited NES ROM space. And so it's not that Ryu is moving. It's that the he they're moving him across the screen. It's not that something has happened and there's a gunshot. It's just a flash of color. And it's not that it's a new Ryu or Ryu model, but one with eyes open now. And they just really do a nice job with that. And I was reading a little bit, too, about how they had to be very careful with the the text as well and translation and getting something out of it and something relevant for the Western audience, which is cool. I am a little disappointed because the game is very well written for the time, considering all the other shit we have. At the, but there are still errors in it, which is annoying. And that bothers me. It's like 
why there can't are. we fix this stuff? Yeah, just fix it. Just like do see. it. I don't know why like you can't just fix this. So what do you remember most about the the storytelling? Were you interested in the story? Because I didn't really care about the story about this, these statues and this demon, the 700 year curse. You go to South America or something and all. But really just the way it was portrayed. And the thing that always stuck out to me. And Micah was laughing about this because I kept saying like, this is what this is. Are, are all the shots of Jockio scared the fucking shit out of me still to this day. But when I was a kid, deeply that there's that distant shot of him where he's got like you see his face and like kind of some amorphous body in that purple. Yeah. And then there's the close up of him when he, he has almost like vampiric teeth and all yeah, this. And that, that is a scary dude, that one. shit scared. The, that's that shit. It's like underlit. Me. Right. Yeah. That close up face. It's true. Like, I was really mortified. I remember knowing like because I think you get through. They're all kind of scary. Like even when you see the statues with the music, it's kind of scary when you're seven or eight years old. I was like and I remember eventually getting to the point where I'm like, I'm not watching this anymore. I'm just going to play it the, <laughs> because the game itself is you don't really get the fear of the game itself when you're playing it. It doesn't feel like what they're showing you in these anime cutscenes. So what do you what do you what are your remembrances of the uh, the anime cutscenes and and the story and. Like you said, it was very memorable and influential, but but was it important for your enjoyment of the game? Yeah, see, I didn't get an opportunity to be scared of it because even me as a... And I'm scared of everything, but I was already 15, 16 first playing this game. So I could see a kid being scared of this. This was, you know, you come out of something very colorful and cartoony like a Mario or a Mega Man game, and then you come to this or, God, you know, God forbid, the black box Nintendo games, you know, Urban Champion and Donkey Kong and stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, shit's getting kind of heavy now. This, you know, this feels kind of sophisticated and adult. I mean, I have to start by saying for me as a kid, Ryu Hayabusa and Storm Shadow were like the two iconic 80s ninjas for me. And I think what made Ryu specifically so cool was that he was a kid. And sometimes you would see him and he looked like a slightly older teenager or something. And sometimes you'd see him with his mask off. And it was just fucking awesome. Like, I, I was like, well, that's that's what I was invested in. I think just the way really Ryu looked, because it, you go back now as an adult and look at the story. It's utterly ridiculous. It's fun because you're dealing with ancient archaeology and demons and they talk about Shinobi and this monstrous bad guy and the Amazon rainforest and the CIA. So there's like political intrigue and stuff. But it's so you're mashing up all these worlds like feudal Japan and modern, you know, CIA, United it's States. Very it's, 80s. it's very 80s. It's very 80s. Very much yeah. like I love you talking about Gogol 13, you know, another property based on a classic manga, The Adventures of Duke Togo, but very similar thing where it's like. It feels James Bondish, but mm. you kind of tie in the feudal Japanese stuff, the dragon sword, Ryu, his father, Ken, all that kind of stuff. It's fun. And the cinematics are so impressive to me. I mean, they you're absolutely right. They did a lot with a little. It's very economical, but it's very cleverly put together. You know, they use color, camera, panel movement, and cool drawings to do a lot with just a little bit. And of course... The that with the captions and the musical accompaniment, I mean, it's really beautifully done and just the way it flows with it's very cinematic compared to what we're used to. You know, each scene kind of is kicked off by, you know, the graphic and the music and the sting with the act one jumps right into the gameplay, beat the boss. It jumps right into another cut scene, maybe, you know, and then it's it's very linear, you know, like. Ryu runs through the city, beats the boss in the bar, 
gets shot by Irene. She puts him in a cell, go through the next cutscene. He escapes from the cell. Literally, the next level is him leaving the cell. So it felt very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. It's the story is utterly ridiculous when you think about it. It's like he's shot by Irene, but then they fall in love. But then the CIA is pulling the puppet strings, but they're kind of bad guys. And then where the hell the Jackio comes from? He looks like a giant raspberry man. You know, he's, <laughs> that's what he looks like. It's like, and his name is Jackie O. And you can't help think about like the Kennedys. Like it's like, and he's like this French oh, yeah. bad guy. Right. It's like, it's so silly, but it's just so fun and colorful and it really did feel like kind of a sea change for video games like and i again i go back to gogo 13 which did did feel very similar where it's, it's like all right this feels like it's for slightly older kids and then that seemed to kind of be the cue and lead into what they would do with 16-bit games and then you know a, a metal gear i mean the metal gear game for nes was the same thing you know, where it was like, it felt like something different. You know, I guess you could think of other t- other titles, too, that did that. Maybe Blaster Master, Faxanadu. Yeah, there were game. There were definitely games that. Uh, like, what was that? Wizards and Warriors is another one where yeah, there, there's like definitely. there's some there's definitely some. There's so, so, well, you, there's some attempts at storytelling, but a lot of it is ham fisted. It's even ham fisted here. It just feels much better and much cooler ninjas are so cool as well but think about Mega Man 2 trying to tell you you know like get equipped and all this like that's cool but you have to sit there and then it gets boring you can't skip it it's all the same and great point there's everything there's a lot of right exactly skippable and it's different so it's not like it's giving you the same thing and now you have this and now you have that. It's like, yeah, I, ju- I know I just beat him. So I know I'm going to get his weapon. I mean, it's cool, but why can't I skip this? What? And I, I watch people speed run it. And it's like, that's the worst part. Like, oh, my God, like, just <laughs> let me get through this. So there is something cool. You're right. It's nonsensical. I love when there's just a random fucking solar eclipse at the end or whatever. I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> But, but they were trying. That's the thing. There was yeah. an attempt at story and making Definitely. it more like a comic or a manga or an anime it was because games generally didn't do that. I think the closest thing we saw to that was maybe Super Mario, a Zelda game, obviously. But even with like Super Mario 2 had like an actual ending where they explained it was a dream. And of course, they were leveraging other properties and just making it work. But I think maybe we were just applauding the effort of like making this feel like there is a story here. But for us, it was just cool. We didn't really care. It was about a young ninja kid that was like beating the shit out of bad guys. Yeah, it was it was yeah, and weird looking bad guys. So some of the sprites are strange too. I think I think though one of the uh, I don't know if this stuck stuck out to you. It always stuck out to me as a kid playing Ninja Gaiden, which was the game is so hard, it gets hard, but the bosses aren't very hard. The last bosses are a little annoying, but did you kind of notice that I, I, in playing it? I kind of was thinking about it in, in my notes. I'm like, none of the when you get to the boss, you almost feel relieved. It's like, oh my god, I made it. Now I can just sit here and beat the shit out of this thing, <laughs> including that what moth or whatever his name is at the end, like the the, the penultimate boss, bloody moth, beat the shit out of him. It, oh. It's not even you just hard. Mash. Yeah, just just and it's <laughs> it's 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 different than Castlevania, where which I I think is the analog to this game, where you get through stage five, you get to the Grim Reaper, and you're like, oh my god, like this is so annoying, and I don't, I don't have enough holy water and 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 you're gonna die and all that and, but but it's different here so i think that that's like one weird tweak 
Did you notice that? That that's a little unbalanced in that way, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Like getting to the boss is the payoff for ease. And basically, most of them, you're absolutely right. You could go hit for hit with them. Like you could just mash and spam because I think the essence of that or at the core of that is that they don't take away a lot of energy when they hit you. So it's fun to employ some sort of strategy and learn how to not get hit. And I think about those um, those sort of gargoyle guys with the two podiums that jump around and try to stand in like the safe zone. And it's fun to try to not take damage and things, mm-hmm. but you really it's not necessary. You could just go in spam it, it. Like you said, it's getting through the levels with the knockback and with the sometimes maddening respawning. You know, oh those horizontal That's sort of trigger points that, you know, which the knockback kind of leads to it. So it's a two step sort of thing of frustration where it's like you get knocked back. It respawns the enemies indefinitely. And so getting through a level, unless you have to really have your strategy planned out, could be difficult. And that just gets harder and harder as the game progresses but getting yeah the bosses for the most part is like yeah that's like you you already know it's going to be cream you're going to get right through them and you're going to get to the next level and then you know of course for the difficulty we have to say the infinite continues does help so that kind of tips the scales a little bit back in your favor because as long as you're determined again pure determination for act six some of act six could be i mean it feels almost broken you know, you think about the jetpack ninjas and stuff like oh that. Oh my god, like, those things are the how worst. Do you, I fucking how do you hate. deal with these guys? It's yeah, so I, I, I still don't really understand how to. They're the one enemy because you're right. There, there are the little again Castlevania like little creatures that jump that you encounter later oh. on. Those become really annoying, and then the ninja, the flying ninjas with the, that throw the ninja. So I'm like, what? What is happening? And what? What am I supposed to do here? And there does seem to be such a differentiation between the characters that are difficult and the characters that are not like everything out like 80 percent of what you fight is just pretty easy i think it's the combination like you said of there's like an eagle over here and behind you what you already left behind like a guy with a machine gun but the eagle knocks you into the guy with a machine gun then you go forward and now there are two eagles on the screen and the guy with the machine gun like that's that's the kind of shit that's going on in here i don't know why it's coded like that because they they the game actually runs pretty stably considering you can just get so many sprites on the screen yeah, and there there can become points of chaos where it's like you're done. Like it's you've gotten knocked around so much you've triggered every enemy around you seven <laughs> times, and now there's like a whole flight, you know, whole. Well, I was gonna say school of birds. That's not right. <laughs> squadron, squadron of birds. <laughs> Flock. Flock, Flock. That's what I'm. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm shot. It's true so, though. You no, there's it is, no it end to the respawning. They will just accumulate infinitely. I mean, it's almost kind of interesting to see how much you could possibly do before you die. I know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's madness. It's fu- it's so funny, dude. But the game itself, why do you think that is? Like, For people that are just li- listening and haven't played, I hope you do choose to play however you can. But the coding is such that you can see the monster closet spawning the monsters as you're killing the monster. So it's not that it's not that the cutoff is like literally off screen. It's actually for some reason, like seven or eight pixels in to the screen good point. so you it's it's a weird design that a lot of games like it's refresh bar is is too far in and yes. i don't know why that is i don't know if that's what keeps the game running stably but oh. there must be some method to the madness of why they did that very similar to 
big Mega Man bosses being the background because that was just a better way to make it run than and then yeah. just giving the background hitboxes. Yep. There's all, all sorts of tricks people do, and, and that might have something to do with it. But that is such a classic Ninja Gaiden thing, because like you said, combined with the knockback, it gets heinous. It gets God. that's why. And, and I love what you brought up earlier, playing it with finesse, playing it. That's the only way to play Ninja Gaiden, I think. It looks so cool. It feels so good to play. Jumping back and forth, hitting the candle, getting the ninja star, jumping up and down. So the ninja star keeps rotating around you as you're killing enemies. There is a lot of that to this game that I think is uh, is super cool. So I I do. I am glad that you brought that up. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What do you think of the uh, of the ending of the game? <laughs> Specifically, the yeah, well, I'll let you talk about it, but I I, I do love the 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 motif, not motif, but the the kind of trite thing that happens in NES games where the castle crumbles, crumbles so into classic. the ground. So it's, classic. So many games do that. It's it's so fun. But yeah, what do you think about how the game ends and and uh, the statues and she just I think she refuses to destroy them and then she ends up falling in love with Ryu and very strange very strange you got the romance brewing at the end I mean it's one of probably the longest most thorough endings where a lot of things happen it sort of has a preliminary ending before and then you have to fight another boss at the end so it's kind of like a surprise tacked on true form type final boss which I always think is cool to step that out it's funny. I mean, the whole plot is hilarious, right? Because <laughs> Ryu is brought into the fold by his dad, says, you know, go to America to see my friend, this Dr. Smith character. And basically the whole essence of this is to keep these ancient archaeological demon statues out of the bad guy's hands, right? So, and then the CIA kind of steps in and sort of employs Ryu, but basically says, if you don't help us, we're going to kill you type of thing. Of course, he's shot by Irene in the beginning just to kind of bring him in. Why did they have to shoot him? I don't know. (laughs) It's so crazy. And then imprison him and everything. And then the end, it turns out your friend, Irene, who shot you in the beginning, you're standing watching Jackie O's castle crumble in the distance. And it turns out this head of the CIA, this foster guy is like, good job, Irene. Now kill Ryu and she refuses and then they sort of they they sort of are are all of a sudden romantically interested in each other Ryu and Irene and then they kiss you know as this eclipse is happening they have to stop the eclipse from happening and all this kind of stuff it's uh it's a mess it's an absolute mess but it doesn't matter because we had never seen 
anything like that in an NES game before where it was like, wow, it's actually kind of a storyline. And they also hint that there'll be more, like there'll be continued adventures. Obviously now he's entangled with the CIA and they want him dead. And what is the mystery behind this? And it gets very Star Wars at the end where Ryu is cradling his dad in his arms and he's like, <laughs> I got to get you out of here. You know, the whole thing we have to fight. Oh, that that's something we didn't mention too. You have to fight your dad who's kind of being brainwashed and programmed right. by the enemy. So it gives you all, basically what it does, it gives you all the sort of action, sci-fi, manga tropes, right? And it puts it all into one. You know, you got the bad guy, you got the monster, you got the Indiana Jones archaeological bend, you got the ninja, you have the CIA, right? So you have everything, and they cram it all into one, and it's, you know, hey the eclipse so it's dramatic and you know you the other thing too is like it has all of those things we talk about with star wars like all those amazing environments the atmosphere right you get to fight in the city you get to fight in the snow you get to fight in the underground mine shaft you get to find you know fight in the mountains in the ancient temple so it's like it's that it's just that fun colorful experience where they f- it feels like it just gives you a lot. It gives you a big bang for your buck, especially in that era. If you're going to pay 50, 60 bucks at Toys R Us for the game, this would have been one of the ones with where you breathe a sigh of relief. And of course, you know, this made the people recognize this game when it came out. It made the cover of Nintendo Power. It was always ranked in the top 10 players picks and everything like that, dealers picks and all that kind of stuff. So it was a game that was appreciated during its time. It wasn't a sleeper hit by any means. But there's a reason for that. You know, you go back and you're like, and, you know, I have to say, too, it's the gameplay, right? It was the first time maybe where you could be so interactive with your environment, running, jumping, slashing, sub weapons. But, you know, the wall jumping, you know, later on, we would see just a little bit later, we would see it also with Sunsoft Batman, which did it Mm. amazing also, where you could interact with the environment by jumping to and fro on the walls flipping around you could do it very quickly once you get good at it one thing i have to ask you which i keep forgetting to talk to you about have you messed around with this sword slash canceling technique no i i learned about that in a summoning salt video about how that's like a key to speedrunning the game when i watch the history of the speedrunning of the game but it's fascinating i i um that's yeah it's super cool but i i don't think i ever play games very technically like that where it's like you got to do all of these things to, so you move faster you can get more attacks in. i just i don't know i don't i don't play like that how about you it's hard yeah i i mess around with it now people do it where they can get like 14 slashes and a jump but you have to hold the controller like on your lap and put your hands backwards <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous but basically what we're talking about is when you jump with the character immediately upon jumping you hold down and you start spamming the attack button and basically what ends up happening is you normally you could get like two slashes and a jump maybe with this technique even holding the button you know, holding the controller conventionally, you could get five, four, five, six slashes in. So basically what it looks like is Ryu is holding his sword out. But upon holding the sword out, it almost acts like the screw attack, where it's infinite damage as long as that sword is hitting an enemy hitbox. So you could essentially get two or three times the amount of hits, to all the way up to like 670 amounts of hits, if you just do this sword slash canceling technique, it's very satisfying because once you jump, you could even if you're holding the button, you know, the regular way you could get five slashes in and it just sounds like you're slashing, but he's holding his sword out. So it's kind of neat. It's one of those frustrating things where it's like, I wish I knew this as a kid because it makes the boss fight 
really satisfying. It's like having the screw attack. I keep calling it the screw attack. It's always going to be the screw attack. Yeah, no, I, I think everyone understands. Yeah. Right. It's so, like having that when you don't have it, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's a that's a next level way to play Ninja Gaiden. And uh, I, maybe I, I kind of am in the mood to go back and mess around with it a little bit more and also play the the other two as well, which I haven't played in a while. They're great because they're a little they have been traditionally a little less accessible. I think I owned maybe all three of them, but definitely one and two, I believe, on the Wii virtual console. But those are kind of isolated on the Wii, so I can't go back and and play them. I'm looking at the game's ending, though, and I, <laughs> I want to remind you that it says the end. Thank you for playing. And see you next. See you next. And then Tecmo yep. on the bottom, right? Yeah, exactly. See you next. Well, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about, though, where it's very clever and or very cute that they keep it like this. But it's like, you guys could just go in the ROM and fix that. Fix it's it really now. not hard. Like, I could probably go into the ROM and fix that if you just showed. Just control F. Like, what to QC back then? It would have taken another five minutes. Dude, that, well, that's the big thing I wanted to, I wanted to kind of laugh about because we don't really know the answer is. There are American or European or whatever English speaking liaisons for all these companies. People work for them, right? That are that are at the trade shows back then and the marketers and talking to Nintendo Power and the early press and getting the games on shelves. No one was like, guys, can we go in and fix it so it doesn't say thank you for playing and see you next before we release the game? In other words, were they just flying by the seat of their pants here? It seems it really does. I think we give a lot. Uh, rightfully so we give a lot of the games a lot of credit back in the day but i really think we underestimate how just completely seat of the pants a lot of the shit was it was just totally made up no oversight just lots of money involved and and not even lots of money i mean these games weren't selling that many copies back then so it wasn't no no games were selling five million or ten million copies like you wouldn't even make that many copies a lot of games were selling tens of thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of copies total so it's so interesting that it was much more renegade back then and there is something cute about it but it is so strange because it makes you wonder like what (laughs) and then the nintendo seal of quality it's like it's such bullshit like you didn't look at you didn't do anything you didn't look at anything i think that's largely the case it's the same line of reasoning for back then of taking like beautiful famicom cover art for the games for the packaging like think of the Mega Man games and saying like no we have to make this for an American audience like they won't like this this is too Japanese or that whole thing of like ah fuck it like or it's a refusal to spend an extra 10 bucks like it's just for kids like that whole philosophy that was still very much the mindset with these executives and the man at the you know the man in the high tower at that point was like ah it's just for kids fuck it like we don't have time to QC that it's gonna take another day and another three hundred dollars and we don't want to spend that right exactly you know? it's probably what it would have been <laughs> absolutely like have one of your QA like, I don't even understand because it's so funny because the games I think there are a couple of examples aren't isn't there a run of Metal Gear or something without a key card in it or yeah. something like there's yeah. some there's some weird shit like that gets missed and has to be fixed but. It's interesting that the games do work like the even if they're bad games like we hate Athena, but you could beat it. Oh, yeah, it, it would work. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So you so someone is playing and testing it, but then just it when it's to the to the length. I think I overestimate sometimes how illiterate people are, too. Just like some people just don't see care. No, some smart people I know when I, I see what they're writing. I'm like, what? How do you even think that this is anywhere close to accurate? So it could be that, too. You're, t- you're dealing with more technically minded people that are just not looking for the shit. Don't care. Sure. They're looking. They're in the code. They're not even looking at the final product. But it is so interesting that 
anything like that could slip through and how impossible that is today because you can patch the games. That's what I love about these games, too, is that they're just final products. Once they're Can't done. do anything about them. They're at, that's we've, it. They're in the marketplace. We've patched Super Peril so many times to fix various things that we've encountered, as many companies do. I couldn't even imagine, like, being like, this is the gold master. Are we sure? Are we absolutely certain? Because we're going to publish 500,000 copies of this. Right. Oh, this. The pressure that com- must come with that is Couldn't not imagine. No- enormous. Yeah, but then I mean, this that's, slips through. Isn't that funny? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the, the very nature of game development has changed now because that's an acceptable practice. I mean, I really think, you know what I heard, Kyle? I just heard this t- this morning and just researching the game a little further. I heard the team at Tecmo knew damn well about they caught the of course it's a huge thing the kickback from the end of act six the very end of the game oh, six four to, to six one yeah six four to six one they knew about it and kept it in the game on purpose mm. because they yeah, just figured you know what it lends difficulty and i think about what you were saying earlier too with the horizontal trigger points and the infinite respawning of the enemies and still to this day wondering if that's intentional because the game would be a lot easier if it didn't have that in it. It almost and, you know, this could be accepting it now for us because it's just conditioned. We've, we've known this game for three decades and that's just the way it is. But I wonder, I do wonder if it's intentional. And the fact there's a there's a certain pride that comes with being able to beat this game because I wonder if we're beating it despite the fact that it's broken. And it could be a broken game. But if this is a broken game, compare it to something like Athena or Deadly Towers or something that just seems like a hot mess, right? If this game is broken, it's amazing that it's still vaunted as one of the great NES games despite that, which really makes it kind of a amazing achievement in so many ways, you know? No, I agree with you. Yeah, there are interesting design. You're absolutely right that the game would be so much easier if that if just that one thing was fixed sure. or fixed in quotes, which was just not even scrolling on and off, but just having a pixel perfect scrolling on and off like a lot of other games do. You just learn to deal with that. Castlevania is the same way. It, it, it you scroll off one pixel and go back and the enemy's there again. And that's that's and that's a memory problem for people that don't know. It's mostly because that has to be stored in RAM and they're dumping mm. it constantly, you know, so so the game just doesn't know. But it just seems like they've made it. So that like the game assumes you've passed this trigger, this enemy spawns, you either deal with it or don't. You go back to the beginning and cross the trigger again. The game doesn't know that you've you've crossed the trigger. These are all like very rudimentary memory problems because the games are are they're old. I mean, they're dealing with what they could with very limited hardware. So it is fascinating to think about uh, about the way the game could be different. You're like, really, it's in my brain now because it would be like one of the more manageable ducktail style games where you could easily beat this game it's fun but it's not difficult it's not going to beat the shit out of you right something like mario 3 so i think that is a pivotal a pivotal point i would argue that you could make this a three continue game if you if you change that you know and it would probably still be in that medium area that middling area of difficulty where it's like yeah that's a that's a perfectly doable game you know you could achieve any 10 year old could play this and beat it with a little practice type thing yeah yeah what do you think of the sub weapons? We, we brought that up. I mean, that's a big connection to Castlevania. I must say, I don't really use them very much in Castlevania. They're much more important to your success. The axe, the holy water, the boomerang. Here you have some cool stuff like the spin attack, the flame that goes around you, like the shield, 
that's very handy. They usually put that in places where you really need it, which is cool, which is nice. Then you just kind of bust through those areas. Right. But generally speaking, I wasn't really collecting too much and would often just use my sword. I know that that's not a very speed running way to play the game, but I like, like you said, I love the efficiency of just being a and the cool animation of him running with the sword. We still, I still make fun of that all the time. Like the way he, it's so cool. Like with his hand on it. (laughs) So fun. And, and he puts it back in the sheath when he's done using it. It's just very, very, very cool. What do you think of the different special weapons and that whole system, which really does seem lifted from Castlevania? I don't know how, how else to, to put it. I would, I would feel like that was intentional. I think that's a great point. Yeah, the whole sub weapon being up, you know, hold being up to use yeah, the same collect. attack. Yeah, same right. way you collect them by slashing lanterns or insects or yeah, you're slashing literally candles like in a lot <laughs> same of same thing. Yeah, I same never way. really thought about that, but that has to be borrowed. You know, it's like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's leverage that from Konami. I, I feel the same way. You know, for me, it's a game of momentum and just constant forward movement so and it's just so fun to be playing a ninja a cool ninja you're you know obviously we're evoking storm shadow and snake eyes at that moment in time where it's like you're running through with your sword and you just want to continue the momentum you don't want to go out of your way and climb something to go back and slash a candle or a lantern to get this thing but you know i think it uses the basic weapons you have the basic throwing star you have the boomerang throwing star which i always thought was cool which you could kind of jump rope and yeah, it'll just keep going cool. yeah very you know, which is fun and that's a fun way to practice where you could kind of just keep that star that one star going and not use too much nimpo and of course the jump and slash technique which we were referring to as a screw attack which is a classic thing in platforming video games and action games which i think Everybody kind of borrowed from Samus and Metroid and just that just got propelled into, you know, the, the into all of 8-bit and 16-bit video gaming and arcade, I would argue. But it's fun. And then, of course, you have all the typical things. You have the one-ups that you could find, restoring energy, the time freeze, which happens, the invincible fire wheel, which is kind of fun when you could pick it up, especially if it's right in your path. It's another like really satisfying thing. Here's the funny thing about it. This game was right on the precipice, kind of right at the turning point of still having points in video games. So you still have that Pac-Man dynamic, right? But we already knew, like, video games were all about playing through an adventure, getting to the end, beating the final bosses, maybe an army of mini-bosses, and letting those credits roll so we could see those cool Japanese nicknames and everything like that. That was... Video games were a point A to point Z experience at that. And that's what we wanted. But it's so funny that these games, and I think we talked about this with Castlevania early on too, where it's like they were just afraid to take the points out. You know what I mean? Like they thought that was another thing that people cared about. I am sure not even 1% of people playing this in 1989 <laughs> cared about the points or even yeah, paying you, attention you, or, or The only thing you would, I don't even know if it worked like this in Ninja Gaiden, but in Castlevania, you would just get extra lives every so often for having point totals and that was it but there was no real penalty for losing your continues in castlevania one either so it doesn't make so it doesn't make any sense from that perspective either it is just one of those things you're right yeah there is a refusal it is a it is a piece of the evolutionary trail of video games you can just see it it's still got it's a it's a it's a it's come out of the water but it's still got its fins you know, <laughs> they're so afraid. Like, do we let this? I mean, or back then, and this would have added to the prestige or that sort of that cool dynamic of that playground rumor thing where it's like, make the points be directly attributable to a better ending. 
you know, have three endings and that all comes down to how many points you accrued on your adventure. And then it's one of those things where if you're not reading about it in Nintendo Power, it's like, oh shit, like I beat Ninja Gaiden with 200,000 points and I got this other ending where this thing happened. And then it adds to that schoolyard rumor kind of dynamic and that mystique, which, you know, this was kind of the ending of that era. Once we got to the mid 90s and the Internet, that was kind of over. So this would have been the last stand of that. It would be funny thinking about people playing Castlevania 2 at the time it came out and someone being like, my I got an ending in color and people would be a bullshit. (laughs) You know, it's a great you know, Point. Yes, our endings were in, yeah, but it's like, it's like, yeah, we, no, I did. I did. I, we, no one knows why, but well, we know now it's because of time. But so I, yeah, it, you're right. There, there were different opportunities, but it's so interesting to, to think about the evolutionary place that this game holds like a game like this, not only for its storytelling, but yeah, for that tension between the Kung Fu style score chase and the Mega Man style. Think uh, about Mega Man 1. Mega Man 1 has a score. Yes. Too. Yeah. And, and which is so weird. And they got pull that right out for Mega Man 2 because they under I think they understood like this doesn't make any sense why is this here it's, it's just an overlay it's it's clutter on the UI that doesn't need to be there at all but there were certain I was never much of a score guy either the only scores I ever really got involved in chasing in my entire life was Super Mario oh no I'm sorry yeah no no Mario Brothers the standalone arcade game from like 1982 or 1983 sure I was we had an, a multi arcade in, in IGN many of them and I was obsessed with that game and I would I was like really into that game That's trying to get the score game. and Kung Fu I, I flipped the score in Kung Fu um, oh which, wow which I was very, yeah which is cool how so, many times through is that I think it's five and a half or something like That's that. more than I, I've ever yeah, done yeah I don't think I did four it gets hard. The game gets really, really hard after a while. Like some of the I'm trying to think like some of the enemies turn into like those bees and shit. And yes. like the, it's it gets in totally insane. But flipping um, the score in that game is a huge. That's a great game. Irem. I love Irem. The, I love. The, yeah, Early I love the, I love that game. Yep. I love that game. Yeah, they would later go on to do games like R-Type. People might have heard of some of these games, but oh, class. Another classic. Yeah. You know, what? Kyle, like I, I'm just thinking about this era, please. And I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. You could have made probably Ninja Gaiden half as good as this, and it still probably would have been among the top 50 NES titles, you know? So to make a quality offering like this during this time where I think it was largely the philosophy of like, this is for 10 year olds, like it doesn't matter, like that type of thing to have a good game during this era was overstepping what they needed to do. So I'm always appreciative of that. You think about the great games, the Contras, the the Zeldas, the Marios, the Mega Mans, the Castlevanias, there's the, the DuckTales, all the Capcom games. You know, it, it was more, it was further than they needed to go. And I'm always appreciative of that. You know, it's like they didn't need to make it this good. But, but the fact that they made them this good is why we're still talking about it in the 2020s. You know, so I I always wonder about that because there were plenty of mediocre and bad offerings through that eight bit generation. You know, the master system is not immune to that. This still, you know, the shovelware shit sh- still went on through the sixteen bit generation. So to make and of course, you know, the more modern consoles, but to make a game this great is just like it's it's amazing. It's so kind of cool and it tickles me to be able to talk about it with such enthusiasm so many years later you know they're they're that good this game is that good yeah i agree i get frustrated i mean it's the each his own we were there and maybe that matters but 
I think a lot of people look back at these games and are like, what is this game? Why would I want to play this game? This game's ugly. This game's this and that. And I'm like, it's are primitive. Fucking, are you fucking crazy? Yeah. This game is beautiful. It sounds great. I love the graphics in the game. That, that shot of him and Irene at the end, Ryu and Irene with the sun. There's a lot of really good, good, beautiful art. I love it pixel art so much. And I love pixel art from the era when that was it. That was like what you had to do. It's not a choice. There was no other choice. It was this is the way the game was going to look. And uh, I love how you brought up Capcom again, because we have so many more Capcom games we can do. We should do a five hour podcast about Codename Viper. And, uh, <laughs> that was one we owned. Game. Yeah, we did. We did own that. I don't know where I got one of us got that for Christmas. I think I think so. I think that was it. That's a That's classic a weird one. It's so that, good. I, I think it's a great game. I, I, I go back and play it every once in a while. And uh, I'm like, you know, if, I, if someone has an emulator or whatever, I, I remember I had it on my PSP and it was. Oh, uh, wow. That game's, yeah, that game's. Uh, you know, like I had a whole ROM hack thing on my PSP and it was great. It was so good on PSP. So I discovered a lot of NES games that I that I didn't know about. And you're right. The. Um, it's so it's such an interesting generation because there is a big differentiator between the great games and the not great games or yes. the great. game. There aren't very many good games, in my opinion, like they're either really good or they're just that kind of. NES trash, which is pretty common. Yeah, I think and you're I don't right know about why that. that is, because like, think about it. You see a game like uh, Journey to Silius and you're like, why doesn't every game just look and feel like this? Like, I don't understand why anyone's making NES games that are action side scrolls and they don't just look like this and feel like this. Right. And then but then you then there are five of them that just look and feel like shit. And it's like, why are you making it like this? Why are you doing it like this? You know, you see Metal Storm or games like that. And you're like, why isn't everyone doing it like this? Oh, that's another and, one where it's like, wow. Like just taking video games to a level where it didn't even need to go yet. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's such an w- interesting way of putting it. You're right, because at that point, it was much more of a Sears catalog toy than it was a piece of art, even though we though people saw it that differently then and certainly see it differently now. I didn't see games as anything more than entertainment. That's why I said, like, in, in hindsight, it's these various games that set the seed of potential for games in me. And I know that Ninja Gaiden is one of those games, but I was just as much of a fucking consumer as anyone. Look at the cover art for this yeah. game. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I have it right here. No, I, have, so, I don't have the box. I just have the, yeah. the cart. It's so is that our version or is that? A, oh, is that no, a, look at this. It has a I must think I, don't, I shouldn't I shouldn't show this guy's name or his address, but the guys, I guess I got this on eBay a while ago and the guy has, you know, from being a kid, it has his name mm-hmm. and his address, tennis somewhere in Tennessee, which is, that's which is awesome. hilarious. I love that, I love that man. I, there's something, I know some people want clean, pristine stuff, but there is also something about getting an instruction manual that someone wrote in or oh, like, there's just great. a piece of provenance to it that I would argue like if you don't have a complete version of Zelda in the box or you don't have a sealed version of it or something in pristine condition, isn't the next best thing having one that's like clearly been used? Yeah. Give me the blockbuster sticker. Like right. I, I, I want it. Yeah. That's a piece of ephemera. That's, you know, from yes. some, you know, Midwest video store, like in that era, all these kids were renting it, loving it, getting frustrated by it. You know, it was in the dog's mouth, whatever. <laughs> right. It's so <laughs> you know, they interesting. They were blowing yeah. in it, whatever. It's good shit, man. Good stuff, man. I love the memories. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. 
Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Well, I'm glad we got to touch on our, one of our favorites from the NES era, Ninja Gaiden. Again, it's available in, in some, I don't want to say a lot of different places. I think it's on the NES Classic if you have the standalone box. Yes. It's on Virtual Console. So I think that's still available on 3DS and Wii U, although they're taking them down, I think, next year. And then it's on the Switch Nintendo Online NES thing. So Such a clever that. inclusion. So it's glad great. to see that in there. It's wonderful. And I really hope that Koei Tecmo makes that Capcom or Konami like leap to bundling some of this stuff up. I think maybe they're a little more hesitant to do it because they frankly don't have that much that they can do it with. But I, I'm a little surprised that they don't try to. And I know that they've messed around with Tech Mobile and stuff a little yeah, bit here and that's there. Another classic, but release yeah. a new Tech Mobile game like release Tech Mobile on the NES, but have all of the teams in it from today and the new rosters. People do this with hacks, but it's I'm surprised that they don't try to get the NFL. Like you remember Tech Mobile? Do you have any idea how big that would be if you oh just my God released Tech Mobile Classic or something, but just had all of the real teams and the, and like it was updated rosters. People would go be crazy. Amazing. People would cl- there'd be a whole generation clamoring for that. Yeah. And they've just not done it quite like that yet. Like Tech Mobile has been revisited here and there, but it's just not been like embrace Madden's got the real simulation stuff down, like embrace a different sort of football on that. So I'd like to see Tecmo um, uh, celebrate their past more. But in the meantime, that's Ninja Gaiden, the NES game. Maybe one day we'll do Ninja Gaiden, the Xbox game, which, of course, was the the revival of Ninja Gaiden from yeah. 2003 or 2004. I mean, that's, I that's the most famous Ninja Gaiden game ever. But this is my Ninja Gaiden. Oh, this is this is it. Yeah. This is right. it, my friend. I mean, and you, know, you guys got to check out. There was an anime. I forgot about this. It came out in 1991. So a couple of years later, supposedly a sequel, I think, to the second game. And it's a 50 minute OAV. I think. You could watch it on Retro Crush right now, but you could probably see it on YouTube. I'm sure it's on YouTube. And it follows the game loosely. Irene's in there. Ryu's in there. I think they talk about Jackie O, but it's some offshoot thing using the same characters. I think the Robert character from from Dark Sword of Chaos might be in it. But it's fun. But I owned it on a bootleg VHS from the early 90s, and I remember buying it because the guy... The uh, anime pirate that I used to buy my stuff from in high school sold it to me by saying, like, look, I got this, you know, everything was $30. Didn't matter if it was cinematic, if it was a 30-minute episode. And he was like, I got this thing. You like ninjas? It's based on, the remember the Ninja Gaiden games? And I was already sold. I was like, what? There's a Ninja Gaiden anime? Like, I have to see this. And it's so late 80s, early 90s. So if you go in for that little bit of history, it's a lot of fun. It's very of its era but i love that and um so i forgot about that and i thought we'd go out kyle i have a printout of the instruction manual here nice it's kind of a miss that i don't have the instruction manual for this game i gotta remedy that but i want it the boss descriptions are hilarious again and just putting these things in completely unnecessary like these character bios one of these guys is from the Bronx. I think the second boss, they say, is from the South Bronx and stuff like that. But this third boss, I want to read you the description because it's hilarious. Okay. Bassacre, the boss of Act 3, trained in China and master of all forms of the martial arts. He was a leader in a killer's organization called the Five Ranges of Doom, but was expelled from the organization because he was too cruel. <laughs> <laughs> just the type that Jackie O was looking for 
Bassaker was chosen to be a member of the Malice Four. Malice Four. Yeah, this dude, is the instruction kind of manuals stuff, man. are just. I oh, love instruction manuals. I miss the, the, this era so much. Me too. I don't know that it's really super necessary anymore in some way because the games are so tightly tutorialed now, so you don't need to read anything. Mm. Games also. We also understand games better now. We just have an education of how games work, but just that extra level of storytelling and artwork and kind of getting a vibe for what at least an artist interprets as it. I, I, I'd miss that a lot. And um, yeah, I hope I hope somehow we can rekindle or revive that in some way. I think the indie space, I, I think there's a lot of room in the indie space to explore old ways of playing again from stem to stern. And what I mean by that is not only in the game, but in how the game is delivered, how you package it, how you sell it and how you interact with it. Like yeah. maybe there, maybe you remove things in the game that would otherwise be in a modern game, like a bestiary because you put it in the instruction manual because that's the way it used to be because there was no room in the game for that kind of thing. And we always talk about dragon warrior being that those four games on NES being the greatest example of just out of game storytelling, just huge maps, things you would spread out, fold out with all of the enemies and the information and where you need to go and walk through so that you would cool, buy dude. on the store shelves and all this it's fucking cool as hell, man. And I miss that. I really do. Um, I actually reached out to a dude. I don't know if you know this guy. He where did I? Yeah, it was this morning. His name is Phil. Phil Summers. Oh, that's his, this is my friend Frank's brother. Frank's, an, Frank's a New York animator. And I don't know if I've ever met Phil, but I Frank's like one of my dear friends. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know. So, you know, so hand drawn game guides. this guy's this guy's amazing. He makes his own strategy guides. Right. And yeah, it's called hey, for people that want to check it out hand drawn game guides. And I wrote to him today, actually, because I someone turned me on to him a little while ago and I was just thinking about him. I was like, you know, I'd like to have you on the show. I wrote I wrote to him. I'm like, I wrote 130 strategy guides in my life. And you're probably one of the only people that can speak at or above my level about the about the craft. So like, it would be awesome to be able to, you know, pick your brain. You're an authority. You got to let me know when he gets back to you. Yeah, I hope he does. Um, you know, my reputation is who knows? I have this unearned reputation. Who knows if people want to work with me or not? But I would love to have that guy on because he's really uh He's really something else. And, and he did a Ninja so Gaiden funny, He did a Ninja Gaiden guide. Yeah. He did. And it's beautifully drawn. I follow him on, I think we follow each other on Instagram. And it's funny. It's, it's such a small world. I mean, he's already kind of part of the family in a way because Frank is, again, one of my oldest friends in the business. And not, not just a colleague, but somebody who's really dear to me and who I haven't seen actually in a long time. But one of those guys who will, I'll just always be fond of. And Phil is his slightly older brother, I think. Oh, interesting. And Frank's my age. So, cool. yeah. So, yeah, he's a talented guy. I was just looking at something he was drawing for another thing he's working on, another hand-drawn strategy guide. I think he's a graphic designer by trade. Yeah, yeah I, I saw you. Right? Never went into yeah, animation, yeah. but actually does these things on the side. This is like his moonlighting gig. I'm trying to think. I think he was doing Castlevania 1. Oh, I think that's that was, what I saw. I think, that's, I, think I, I think that was kind of what he was teasing. Because I have, I've said on the show in the past, I have this idea of doing a strategy guide company, like a print strategy guide company, like boutique strategy guides yeah. for old games, like third party, unofficial. Like, it's hard for people to understand, but in not so much in the 80s, but more in the 90s, there were official and unofficial guides. When we do Final Fantasy VI one day, which I'm kind of waiting until it comes to PlayStation, that's when I'll play it, when I'll play it again. Oh, I'm sure it'll come at some great. point because they, they re-released the Pixel remasters on PC recently. Okay. But I had the unofficial guide to that game, and it's just it's just a book with with just nothing in it but information because they can't 
do much with it. And I don't want to get quite that mundane with it, but I want to recapture that essence of like the unofficial, the unofficial Nintendo password book kind of shit. And I want to do that for like games. And and I was thinking of uh, Phil here because I was like, man, if you draw your interpretations of these things, there is no, I don't think copyright problem. No, no, that's if you draw your your own hand drawn maps and stuff. Yeah, I think that you can do that. And I was like, this is I feel like if people want to buy physical games, then why wouldn't they want to buy physical strategy guys? It seems like I would much rather have a physical strategy guy than a physical game. I mean, if you were going to say, like, what do you want to collect? Strategy guides or games? I'd be like, strategy guides. Mm. Why would I like the game? We can have that digital. That's easy. But everyone knows that when you try to use strategy guides on a screen or now all guides are videos and shit. I'm like, oh, God. No, it's not as immersive. You got to have a tactile component. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's why I think people really liked games like The Witness and a few others that required you to or even Elden Ring, where it really required you to, like, maybe even write your own notes and, like, keep a notebook and and. People dig that. I mean, I remember people when people were playing The Witness on PlayStation 4, they were like drawing crazy dynamic maps of things. And because that's all about like puzzle solving through visuals and, and through your perspective and, and and line puzzles and all those weird things that they were doing. And so I don't know, man, I, I dig that element of gaming that that whole you said it, it was like a, it's like ephemera. It's like it's everything that surrounds the experience. It's the fucking popcorn bin with the logo on it. Right. It's it's like when you go to a movie theater. Great. Kind of point. It's like, the, you know, yeah, I want to I want to explore that a little more because. I don't understand physical game collecting in modernity. I understand collecting old games. That's great. But today it's like, I don't know, man, but like people are like, well, I want a physical game, I want a physical game. And we're going to get involved. We're I'm going to get involved in that, too. We have well more to say about that soon, too. But what I really want to explore is like this other shit and see if we can revive some sort of strategy guide mentality. I love right. it. There's a and yeah. there's a market for it. There's a there's a longing so for that. I mean, think about being a kid. I think about this with Atari specifically. Like when we were kids, we couldn't take the console and the game with us to grandma's house, but I could take the instruction book or the catalog or the strategy guide and read about it and it was part of the excitement. It was like taking the game with you and and sort of developing your excitement for when you got home and you were able to play the game again. And just having that tactile part of the experience too not just looking at the screen and playing the game which of course is wonderful as well so it's having that complete experience then you know it's something that you could look at on your shelf and something that you could of course like this is this is just modern retro game collecting this is what we're talking about you know and just bringing another part of that back to back to life all right my friend let's end this episode like we do with each episode of knockback with a dad joke. Let's do friend. it, my man. Th- thank you for talking about Ryu and Ninja Gaiden with me. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> we won't even go there. It's just Come. we didn't know any better. I, I say that all we the time. Know. Like we did, we didn't know how to say Ryu. Or I did see this really fucking pissed me off though because people used to bombard me about it. you're saying Mario wrong because they used to say Mario like we used to we grew up saying Mario. That's what we said. I saw a Mario commercial where they are saying Mario. Oh, it's like wow. go fuck yourselves <laughs> because I I would say dude like I know people named Mario I know a person named Mar- Mario that's how he, it's, his name is Mario it's not Mario yeah like. I, I don't know. No one I ever grew up with in the tri-state area said a goddamn word about how people were saying Mario or Ninja Game. Never heard it. Never heard it. Never no. heard it. 
Did, so that, was it, that was the only you? thing. A TV commercial or a movie like The Wizard. And sometimes they were just kind of interpreting their own way anyway. Right. 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 So they had no idea. Most of this stuff was Japanese. So, so it's important to note that. I want to just note that. We didn't have any of that education of. But aren't you interested in the way it used to be? If you're younger, don't you like kind of have that that mysterious phantom nostalgia for it? Like, don't you want to know? Know your history. What that was like? You kind of know it. Dude, I've been watching or not commercials. I've been watching uh, old newsreel kind of things about like working in a grocery store in the 50s and working at IBM in 1963 and and all this kind of I just been watching. It's like that appeals to me like crazy. Oh, my God. So good. That's so great. Speaks to your history. It's all it's important and it's fun. Super dude. Everything that's ever been known is on the Internet. Can you believe that? Everything. It's amazing to me. It, It can drive you nuts, but it's just. You know, yeah. Am I watching fight videos? People having fights outside of bars? Yes. Am I watching to catch a predator like gorilla style to catch a predator operations on, on YouTube? Absolutely. However, I'm also watching documentaries and other things. And there's just so much good stuff, man. Like there's so many great. There's someone. It's amazing. I encounter someone on YouTube every week almost where I'm like, what? I know you're doing what? Fascinating. You're so good at this. And there and everyone on YouTube is so much better than than like what's going on anywhere else. It's. I'm such a stand for YouTube. Like I'm oh, so late to the game. I'm so, I'm so late. I'm I'm so late. I'm ten you years late. late. You were a little late, but th- what's important is you're there. Mm-hmm. You made it. Where I don't watch anything else, basically. But YouTube. No, who does? <laughs> does anybody? Anymore? It's crazy. Like I just don't. Like I started cancel. I canceled HBO. I canceled, you know, Hulu and all that. I'm like, I don't watch this shit. I'll get it when I need to. You know. Dude. I looked up this one-off 50-minute Ninja Ryu Kenden OAV. And wanted to know who the anime studio was who did it and found out who the office managers were at the studio <laughs> within five seconds at, at the time they were making it. I mean, immediately, like it was like, there, there's the list of people. There's the office managers. There was like the, the coffee boy shit. and stuff like that. It's, it's like shit, fucking man. crazy. Yeah, I, I recommend <clears throat> in that regard, I always say, and we, we bring it up on this show often, the website Moby Games, oh, if you want stuff great. like that in games, is awesome. I have a Moby Games entry, which is awesome. I think you probably do, too. You because do? You did. Yeah, yeah. And you must because you you weren't you did a, some games, right? So you probably have one there. If, we as long use as someone it inserted all, maybe for the Leisure Suit Larry stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we use that. That was our that was our reference point for the any you know the pat country nes and super nes books and the n64 book it's good shit dude because um i think i want to say atari bought moby games recently for something like one one and a half million dollars or whatever but to keep it going because it's a a very reliable repository it's not like something you can't go and edit it or you have to prove uh, for people that don't know like so it's like game. It's basically like game ending. So if you imagine a triple A game today, there could be like a thousand names or more in there. And it literally has all of them interlinked with each other. So it's like this guy was an animator here. You click on his name. It goes to all the shit he worked on and all that. And I haven't I, I had I've had a name there for a while because I'm in special thanks in games. So that's pulled in. Oh. But now but now for my own games, I'm I'm going to have those entries as well as we Dude, get those inserted. Sick. But the reason I wanted to bring up like why it's so cool is that it's just it. They're very serious about it. You have to take a recording and send still shots of the entire thing. And they like go line by line, like make sure that it's all right. Like you can't just say like, no, we promise these are the guys that worked on the game. It's like, no, you must submit the media that proves it. And so Moby Games is like 100% like totally. Yeah. Right. Vetted and accurate. And that's That's why it is so good. 
because it's not like just dudes saying whatever they want. It's right. people. It's like people with a real passion for the archivist kind of slant of gaming to say, like, no, this is going to be the repository of where you can reliably find this information. That it's, is it's really cool. I love that site. Love that's it. a labor. That's a real labor of love. I wish they knew they were for sale. I would have gotten in on a small ownership group and totally bought Moby Games. So wow. it's too bad that they, they sold themselves to a mega corporation. Look at Atari. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I knew and Atari was so- back in the in the fold when they when the Lego set came out. I was like, oh, yeah. The, OK, they're coming back. They are. I'm having someone on the show in a few weeks from Atari, a producer over there to talk oh, about. Like, shit. I want to uh, yeah, I want to call it something like what's going on at Atari because they are rumbling. There's a rumble at Atari. They sold a few years ago a lot of their remaining IP, and I think they're like trying to come back as like a new third-party entity. Like they're working on games. Wow! And, uh, is but forgive my ignorance. Is Bushnell hmm. still involved? No, 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 no. This is like three iterations of Atari removed. I think from Bushnell. Wow, he's that far. I, 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 it's a sin. I don't even know if he's alive. But no, he is. He oh, is. He, he is. is alive. Uh, but um, you should read about the whole tr- controversy, fake controversy surrounding him and GDC. A few years ago, he was set for a Lifetime Achievement Award. Do you don't know anything about this? I do this, know about this. Yeah. Yeah. And so. they snubbed him, right? Right. Over nonsense. Like, and even people that were working there were like, this is not true. Like, and this is not the way it happened. And, and all this. And like, no, no, Nolan Bushnell. Nolan Bushnell can't have a game developer conference Lifetime Achievement Award. One of the progenitors of everything that we do. And that's you know, snubbing stuff. yourselves. That yep. never got lit. That never got um, fixed. No. No, and it's wow. no, it never got fixed. G- wow. the games, the game developer conference seems to me to be a corrupt organization. That's I don't even mess. know where to begin with them. That's but, a mess. Um, and that's a shame because that used to be my favorite show to go to. I used to love going to GDC because GDC is not like go to a panel and meet the people that work on the game or whatever. It's like this panel is about how we place enemies in maps. Oh, in shit. Resistance. This panel is how we cracked open this problem on this engine with unity or unreal engine or whatever it's like that kind of shit it's Neat, for other game developers shit. and it's good oh that it's so sounds good. fun that sounds fun my fa- I, I i'm sorry if people have listened to me for a long time but there was a resistance three panel that was my favorite where it was literally about how they engineered like their drop ships to and en- put enemies in and they were showing the maps about like why we want enemies to drop here this is what we found out players were doing in heat mapping when we were testing it so we have the enemies sweep in this way and the drop ship comes in at this point when this happens and all that it's it was like this is awesome that's tremendous i used to love it it used to happen in san francisco every year i think it's still i think it's back on now at the moscone center it's 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 great it's a gathering of the nerds like a gathering of the creators of the games themselves so great show very 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 expensive to go to as well if you don't if you can't go into media, like publishers basically buy huge packages to send their people. And the, the tickets are like, I think, five, eight hundred a thousand dollars each. Oh, my you know? God. And EA will basically send like, you know, a thousand people to go. Right. And it'll cost them like several million dollars to send everyone, put them up and all that kind of shit. So. How do they account for that? They just say it's for educational purposes for our people. Yeah, I, I think it's like vital to get these people into these different, you know, you want your guys to like learn like seminars and all these different things. And rub elbows rub elbows sure it's a great place for job opportunities it is an especially great place for indie developers to get signed and some smaller a games and double a games to get signed as well so there's a whole angle like there's a small show floor but um yeah it's a cool show i don't think i'm welcome there but i don't oh, think they like me stop these but they uh, gotta they gotta knock it off with that nonsense 
Yeah, I don't even really know what I did, but it is a shame. I, I loved that uh, that show. So and what's cool, too, if people are interested in GDC is all of their shit is online. So you can like look at all of the different. They have like a repository of all their different uh, panels over the years. Oh, that's really cool. good stuff. So you can do awesome. much to learn. And I imagine if you're in an enter, enter, uh, enterprising journalist out there, I would be mining those things all day and night because I, I really know that there's stuff that's said that just slips by at, at those things oh, all the time. Um, for sure. Shit. For sure. That's awesome. So, all right, my friend. Uh, did we do the dad joke? We didn't no, do it yet. No, no, no. Let's do it. On Sorry, we got note. distracted. Yeah. Carl, what does dar- garlic do when it gets hot? A timely topic. I don't know. It takes its cloves off. <laughs> you don't have to take your cloves off to have a good time. I remember dad getting really aggravated when that song came on the radio. We that can seems drink like something. some cherry wine. Uh huh. Dad, the awkward thing or random things would be awkward with dad. Like some things would slip by, some things wouldn't. Some things I don't know why he cared about. Some things he he did care about. I didn't. I could never really quite figure it out. He got he got to the end of this episode. I was like, well, I got it. I didn't get thrown under the bus in this episode. Yeah. Nope. Sorry, Dad. You got it, my friend. All right, my friend. I'm going in the pool. It's 96 degrees. Oh, so it's heat time. wave. Talk about this heat wave. Ooh. I know it's hard. Enjoy, but. But uh, we're okay when they're in our central AC. I can't really complain. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I will. And uh, uh, Dig, thank you so much for your kindness and joining us today. It's uh, we're actually recording this on Saturday because uh, Dagan's going away for his. Uh, he's oh, going away on some some trips, anniversary trips, all the rest. So uh, congratulations on twenty years, by the way. Oh, thank you. With my your wife, my wife, my wife. I can't wait to be able to say that. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> You're so close. It's never going to end. So. Um, and I thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Last Day Media. Knockback, Sacred Symbols, Defining Duke. Support us on Patreon. You can find us on YouTube. Buy merch at lastdaymedia.store. And we'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Steven Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Andrew Roman, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, Salty Trees, My Name is Fucking Mayo, Logan Byford, GJ, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Nog, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Blake Nesbitt, Nuclear Prostate, Sorta Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Renick Graham, Christian R, Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez Espinoza, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen Rui, Quentin Thedens, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Paredes, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Andreas Wessling, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Daniel Johnson, H Tronch, Trey W, Antonio C, Jay Getter, Assassinated Devil, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapier, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, 
Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Antti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Simon Dunbar, D.B. Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algaret, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Heber III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Tom Quinn, Spencer F., Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kinniston, The Rose Experience and Grizzled Veteran Media, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw 7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmort, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondoliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Garson-Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Purdue, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, and Jonathan Rice. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.